Hope is a very important part of your faith. It's very important for us to understand what it is. Let me ask you, just because it's a familiar word, don't just say, well, I can turn this one off and wake me up when this is over because I know what hope means. I want to do more than talk about what hope means. I want to show you what the Bible has to say about it, what it will do for you, how it will help you. What sets the Christian faith apart from every other thing that calls itself religion is that the true believer in Jesus Christ has hope. We have the hope of answered prayer. Have you ever heard somebody that you know is not saved pray and just sort of go through the motions of prayer and you can tell that they have no hope that their prayers are going to get answered. We have the hope of answered prayer. We have the hope that our sins are forgiven, that our condition before, I'm sorry, our position before God is we are forgiven. And that our condition on a daily basis, if we will confess our sins, we can be forgiven before him. Understand, in case that's confusing to you, in case you've never heard that before, as a believer, your position forever is forgiven. As we said this morning, your status, that does not change. That's your position in Christ. You are forgiven. That's not all you are. You're also righteous and uh, other things as well. But regarding your sins, you are forgiven. That's your position. Now, your condition is something else. Your condition does not have to do with whether or not you have eternal life or whether or not you'll go to heaven or hell. Your condition has to do with how you're doing today and how that's going to affect your life and how it's going to affect your relationship with God. That's your condition. So your position is he saved you once, you're saved, it's done, it's over, that's forever, praise the Lord. But you still have to think about your condition on a daily basis. And on any given day, as you confess your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, your condition is you're forgiven. Just needed to explain that. A lot of times you talk about forgiveness, and on one hand I'll talk about it as, that's it, it's done, you're saved. And then you hear me talking about confessing your sins every day, and you go, wait a minute, which is it? It's both. One is your position, one is your condition. All right, little sideline there, let's get back to the message. We have the hope that our sins are forgiven. We have the hope, believers do, that God's purpose will be fulfilled in the world and in our lives. The hope. You know, maybe to understand better, I should define that word hope as confidence. Not, I hope so. Is everything going to turn out all right? I hope so. No, that's not it. The Bible word hope is the confidence that everything's going to turn out all right. You see how crazy things are getting in the world, uh, more so on a daily basis. And I'll say one week the world is getting crazier and crazier. And I'll come back next week and say, man, it got even crazier than it was last week. And yet you have the hope God's in control. Well, what what in the world can you look at it that that makes you feel confident God's in control? The Bible, for starters. 
So it's not about circumstances. It's not about current events. It's about something that God has put in your heart. And we'll talk in a minute about how it got there. We have the hope that our suffering is contributing to a greater good. We have the hope that justice will ultimately prevail in this life. We have the hope that there's more to this life than this short time on earth. We have the hope that we will see our loved ones again. Paul said, we don't sorrow like other people. We sorrow when we lose loved ones, but not like other people do. Have you ever gone to the funeral where either you're pretty certain that the person that's being laid to rest rejected the Savior, or they knew the Savior, but some of the people... Wow, see, that just doesn't happen right there. My ringer's on. My ringer's never on. Okay. Now, I know some churches that when uh, somebody's uh, phone rings during church, that person has to buy everybody pizza. But um, not here. We don't do that here. Wow, I'm sorry. That, that never, never, ever happens there. Um, so, but you go to a funeral, you've had this experience, where there's no expectation that the person who is being laid to rest knew the Savior. Or they knew the Savior, but they have loved ones that did not. And the grief, and have you ever stopped to ponder the absolute grief that a person is experiencing who thinks they're never going to see their loved one again? It's just a whole different level of hopelessness Compared to, yeah, we grieve, but it's not forever. We're going to see him again. We're going to see her again. We have the hope that our service on earth will be rewarded. We have the hope, the confidence that we're going to live forever. We have the confidence that we will see Jesus. We don't hope that these things will happen. We take God at his word that they will happen, which, by the way, that's faith. And our faith gives us hope. Hope is the product of faith. Now, if you want to turn here and see it for yourself, you can. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5, and you can see the process. Romans 1 through 4 basically tells us how we get to justification. Romans 5 verse 1 begins by telling us what we get as a product of justification through faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another product of faith, verse 2, by whom also, Jesus Christ, We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So, because we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. Because we're justified by faith, we have access into the grace where we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So because we are justified by faith, we can shout and say, Woo! Praise the Lord! I know the Lord and serve the Lord and love the Lord, it's so good to be saved. 
because we have hope. And we have hope by faith. It keeps going. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We, we glory in tribulations. I don't mean we necessarily raise our hand and shout and say, oh, yeah, things are so bad. Hallelujah. No, but we do learn through faith that trouble always breeds good things. Tribulation. We, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience brings experience, and experience brings hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, we could take the time tonight to go through that process, but let's summarize it for now just by saying that hope is a product of faith. People who don't take God at his word do not enjoy the hope that we enjoy. People who don't believe that God answers prayer do not have the hope of answered prayer. People who do not believe that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, do not have the hope of purpose in their lives. God's going to make this work. Not just for any old person, not even just for any old Christian, but for the devoted Christian who loves God and has answered the call to God's purpose. For them, God's going to take all these things that are happening to you and make them work for good. His good, but because you love him, his good is your good. People who don't take God at his word that he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. People that don't believe, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also, in my Father's house are many mansions. People who don't believe that, they don't have the hope that the grave is not final. We have something very precious as believers in Jesus Christ. Our faith, we have the faith of taking God at his word and the product of that faith is the hope, the confidence that it's going to be, all going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. God puts more hope in our hearts as we endure temptation. We just read it, but let's read it again. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed. So as we endure, and it's a cycle, endurance brings hope. And hope helps us to endure more the next time. And then that endurance brings more hope. And that new hope helps us endure things more the next time. God puts hope in our hearts as we endure temptation. God also put, puts hope in our hearts as we yield to his Holy Spirit. Romans 15 verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Here again, a cycle. The Holy Ghost gives us hope. And that hope causes us to yield more to the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't ever forget You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the Spirit of God within you. 
what he demands of us is that we yield to him. As we yield to him, we have his power and we see his power at work and that gives us hope because we know, hey, man, wow, just amazing what the Spirit of God did. It's just amazing how the Holy Spirit worked in that situation, how he helped me, how he brought this thing to pass. You now have hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so what that's going to do is cause you to yield more to the Holy Ghost, which is going to bring more hope. So you see the cycle again. God puts hope in our hearts in direct proportion to how well we get to know Jesus. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you The hope of glory. How much do you let Jesus Christ work in your life? How much are you becoming like Jesus Christ? The more you let God make you like Jesus Christ. That's a process of sanctification. The more you let God make you like Jesus Christ, the more hope you have. And there's the cycle again. The more hope you have, the more you want to know Jesus Christ. Because you realize the eternal value of knowing Jesus Christ. So you see it. Knowing Christ brings hope. Hope brings you, causes you to want to know Christ better. Which brings you more hope. And it keeps on abounding in you. Now, I want you to notice from our text verses. What God-given hope will do for you. Let me read it again. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. From those verses, I very quickly want to give to you four things that your God-given hope does for you. First of all, hope saves us. It says we are saved By hope. You got saved because Holy Spirit conviction opened your eyes. You saw the hope of the cross and you said, I want that. We are saved by hope. There's no greater illustration of that in the Bible than Saul on the road to Damascus. I believe it's pretty certain that Saul had seen Jesus before. I'd be surprised if he had. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that he had. But with his background, I would be surprised if... I don't mean that he ever saw him do a miracle. I don't mean that he ever met him or talked to him. He may have. The Bible doesn't tell us he did or didn't. But I think at least from a distance, I think it's, to me, very likely that at some point, He saw a crowd of people around a man and said to his teachers and his fellow Pharisees, what's that about? And they told him, oh, that's Jesus. And they told him, I I, I don't think that just because Saul is introduced in the book of Acts that that's when he was introduced to Jesus. Now, I don't mean that he believed on Jesus. I don't believe that he even liked him. 
I think he saw him as an enemy. Saul was a very loyal Jew and Pharisee. I simply mean that it wouldn't surprise me at all to get to heaven and learn, oh yeah, Saul of Tarsus had seen Jesus on several occasions. But on that day on the road to Damascus, the great light shone and Saul fell to the ground. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul said, who who art thou, Lord? I think he already had a hunch, but who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Saul's next question is the most natural thing in the world to ask. In fact, there's something dishonest in us if we're not asking this question. Once Saul instantly said, okay, there he is. You were right, I was wrong. It's Jesus Christ. His next question, what would thou have me to do? Why was Saul changed so amazing? He had given his whole life to the Jewish faith. And now, immediately, what do you want, Lord? What would you have me do? What a change. I mean, that is absolutely inexplicable, remarkable, unbelievable. Saul was saved because... What he experienced on the road to Damascus was an overwhelming confidence that this is real. He is real. The message is real. Everything I've been fighting against is real. He is real. It's all real. It's all true. I wish I had the time to tell you the story. I'll put it in a very little nutshell. You've got to hear the lady tell it. I'm going to tell the story of the pastor's wife in Illinois that spoke at Heritage a few years ago and how she got saved. What's her name? Robin Ogle. Crazy. Yes, she is, but I don't mean her. Uh, The story is crazy. No, she's a very nice lady. A little crazy. Anyway, she, here's the story. She was married to a state trooper, is that right? Military man. He was in uniform of some sort. And he was home. Yes, it was, military. And he was home, and he went hunting. And by the way, she wasn't saved, not religious at all. And he, he went hunting and accidentally shot himself. And so here she is, and she's in her early 20s, like 22, 23 years old, and they're doing the funeral for her husband. And she's at her house, and she is so distraught over her husband's death that even though all the friends, family, neighbors, everybody is over to her house, she's just in the bedroom by herself. And somebody had given her a Bible. And she opened up her, but she said, I don't know what, we're even, what even to do with this, but she opened up her Bible, and the first thing she put her eyes on was where Paul was giving instructions to the church to take care of widows. And she had just been sitting there thinking, I'm 20, whatever, 23 years old, I'm a widow, this is not right. And she opened up her Bible and she saw that. And she was so overwhelmed with, this is real. This is real. God just showed me something. That she stood up, she walked out in the house, all these people that were there to come for her, 
And she said, hey, I read the Bible and it's real. It's true. The next day, I believe it was the next day, was Sunday. And she decided, she was so excited that she had just discovered something. So she put on her, it was more like an evening dress, but that's all she had. And uh, she, she went, she just went down the road and went to the, stopped at the first church she saw. Walked in, interrupted the service and said to the pastor, I'd like to say a word. He said, okay, she came up and she told her story. My husband was a military man. We didn't know God. And uh, he died and the day of his funeral, I opened the Bible. And uh, God spoke to me. I'm here to tell you what he's saying up here, it's real. It's real. Thank you very much. And she left. She went to the next church she found. And she did it at three or four different churches until she came to a New Testament Baptist Bible-believing church and the pastor let her say her, her thing, and she said the very same thing. And then the pastor said, ma'am, do you know what the book says about how to get to heaven? And she says, well, no, I guess I don't. And he led her to Christ. And it was a short time later, she met a, a, a man, a single man. And she's she saved, and uh, he's a single man that was uh, just sort of not going anywhere with his life, a single Christian man. And um, they got married. And they're a pastor and pastor's wife in Illinois. Amazing. But what happened? God opened her eyes and she saw more than a book. She saw more than words. She saw hope. We are saved by hope. Not only does hope save us, hope connects us. Notice it says, but hope that is seen is not hope. Hope connects us. To that which we cannot see. People who don't know Christ live by sight. That's all they have to live by. They live by sight. God-given hope leads you to strive for things you cannot see. It says of Moses in Hebrews 11 that everything he did, he did as seeing him who is invisible. What's it saying? It's saying that he connected with hope. Hope connects us. Hope connects you to eternal values. Says, set your affection, Colossians says, set your affection on things above. Where Christ is at the right right hand of God, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Set your affection on things above. Daniel is a great example of the fact that hope connects us. Because even though Daniel was a captive in the kingdom of Babylon, he was not a captive in the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel was connected to another kingdom. And while most of the rest of the Jews were focused on the fact that we're captives here, we're prisoners, we're held here against our will, Daniel was focused on, I'm connecting with God. Hope saves us, hope connects us, hope drives us. Look at the statement, for what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? Hope drives us. Listen, the man who lives by sight can only be driven by things he can see. Now you say, wait a second, pastor, but there are 
There are visionaries who, you know, I see things that are not there and whatever, ask why not and all that good stuff. Yeah, but he still can only go after that which can be seen. He may have a vision of a, of a bridge or a building or of a, of a corporation, but he is still going after that which can be perceived by the five senses. But the man who has hope, the man who's driven by God-given hope has an unlimited, infinite, eternal drive. And that's why when a young man says, you know what, I'm going to invent this great thing that's going to help us to be able to do this. And no matter who the man is throughout history, he always said, you know what, I think that we can invent something that will help us talk into a machine and people 500 miles away can hear us. And even though people thought it was impossible, they still admired him for going after it. But when a young man and a young lady in Massachusetts get married and two days later they're being ordained and they're trying to ordain to the mission field and they're trying to board a ship that leaves out in 1812 before the harbor closes so that they can get to Burma. And person after person who has filled that big congregational church, person after person, come to them and to their parents and say, why are you throwing your life away? They didn't say that to Alexander Graham Bell. They might have thought he was crazy, but they didn't think he was throwing his life away. Because he was going after that which can be seen. But when Adoniram Judson and Ann Judson went after that which cannot be seen, why would you do why would two smart, attractive young people, talented young people, throw their lives away? To go to a place where they're not even sure they can arrive. They're not even sure they'll be accepted when they get there. Are you out of your minds? See, they were going after things which cannot be seen. And eternally, what Adoniram Judson did is of infinitely greater value than what Alexander Graham Bell did. Hope drives us. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? No, we, we have hope of things which, what is faith? Faith is the substance of hope, uh, things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are driven for things that we cannot see. Not only that, hope calms us. I said hope saves us, hope connects us, hope drives us, hope calm, calms us. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it. Patience. There's something in patience that must be calming. If you're not calm, you're not being patient. So calmness is a necessary element of patience or at least the willingness to be calmed even when you're in turmoil. Your God-given hope constantly reminds you that God is in control. Your God-given hope constantly reminds you God knows what he's doing. Your God-given hope constantly reminds you God has your answer. 
your God-given hope constantly reminds you God will take you where he wants you to go in his perfect timing. My favorite apostle is the apostle John. When John penned the words of the book of Revelation, he was in exile on an island called Patmos. The other apostles had all been martyred. Now, he may not have known that because they were in remote parts of the earth. But he did know that he hadn't seen any of them in a long time. They tried to put John to death. They tried to kill him by boiling him in a vat of hot oil. And it failed, which freaked them out. And they said, okay, man, we're done with you, but we're just going to get you out of our sight. And they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. By the way, it, it seems that he did come back from the Isle of Patmos to minister more and to die a natural death, which Jesus seemed to have alluded to in the book of John chapter 21. But John on Patmos, what, what hope is there? What future is there? And yet... John had a peace. Why? Hey, when they try to boil you in a vat of oil, boiling oil, and I don't know how it goes, but I mean, I, would, I see this, you know, boiling vat of oil, and they're letting you down by a rope on a pulley. I mean, this is fiery furnace stuff, folks. They put him in there, and he won't die. He won't burn. <coughs> And just like with the fiery furnace, the guy has to say something that they'd never said before. All right, pull him back up. <laughs> now, after you go through that, I'm guessing the Isle of Patmos doesn't scare you a whole lot. So while he's patiently waiting on Patmos, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which means interpretation, Sunday came, so I had church. I love that. We're going, to have a, we're going to have a church service of one today. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And God gives in the book of Revelation. How, honestly, how does John endure in spirit? Do you not, as you serve the Lord, have times where you don't have the motivation to keep going? I don't mean physically. I mean you just don't feel like putting in your, your heart into it this time. You just don't feel like giving it your all this time. What do you think about John, who's up in years, all alone? You put me on that Isle of Patmos after all that? I mean, I think my first reaction is going to be, I am going to live at the beach I mean, man, I am going to be, I'm going to be riding the waves. I'm going to be my feet in the water every single day. I'm going to be sitting there, you know, the tide coming in, the tide going out. I'm, that's me. That's where I'm going to be. But John was still going after the Lord on the Isle of Pat. Why? Hope. He had a hope in his heart. God didn't let me die. He's got something for me to do. Let me say this real close. Uh, let me review what we talked about. Hope saves us. Hope connects us. Hope drives us. Hope calms us. Where does hope come from? 
It comes through faith. Take God at his word. God rewards you with hope in your heart. It comes through yielding to the Holy Spirit. It comes through endurance of trials. It comes through your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I got to tell you, I have never faced heavier spiritual opposition than I have faced in the last, I don't know, month, six weeks. Dr. Williams was here. We sat downstairs after Sunday, after the morning service, waiting for lunch. And I was like, I got to tell you, Dr. Williams, I would, not, I would not say this if it wasn't true, but I can tell you honestly that I have never prayed with the intensity that I'm praying with right now and have been for a number of weeks. And he said, well, praise the Lord. That's my best Tom Williams right there. And I said, um, but I got to tell you something else. The more intensely I pray, the harder things get. And he just smiled and shook his head. He said, that's how it's going to go. He said, are you, are, you, are you up for that? Now, since, he, since we had that conversation, the temptations to despair, the temptation to apathy, the temptation to just, I don't know, isolation, Never have never experienced this intensity in my life. The potential darkness that always seems to be at the doorstep of my heart. I've never had it in my life like I have these past couple of months. I'm not asking for your pity. I don't want your pity. I need your prayer. But what overrules the temptation, the, the potential for despair, the, 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 the temptation for isolation and apathy and all of that, what overrules it all is the hope in my heart. God always wins. You go back to that video. I hope you've watched that a number of times since July. God always wins. We are more than conquerors. No matter what the circumstances say, God's in control. He always wins. And I want to be on him. And by the way, don't think that that's not going to be tested. I, I want to say this in closing. I praise the Lord. Why don't you hit the piano, hon, and, and just start playing once you get there. <clears throat> you know, here I am begging God, and I do beg God, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use us. I want you to use our church. God, please multiply our influence. You know, there's this big, huge physical prayer that we've been praying together, which I still believe God's totally in. God, we want you to work. Then I look at Pastor and Mrs. Bish and people like them, and I look at just the intense suffering that they're facing and and when I'm tempted to wonder why why can't we just get there why has it got to be so challenging why has it got to be so difficult and the spirit of God says what makes you think that they're going to go through tribulation 
to fulfill my will for their lives, and you're not. What makes you think that everyone else's faith is going to be tested and yours is not? And even that word from God in my heart gives me hope that there's something great on the other side of every tribulation. Hope. Confidence. Hope. What are you going through? What are you struggling with? You say, man, I have really been doing my best to to live for the Lord and to seek the Lord and to put Him first and to live a holy life. And man, it's so hard. Find that hope that God's putting in your heart that there is victory on the other side of the tribulation. Let's stand together. The piano plays. The altar is